Consequences podcast with Paul McNulty and Sean McCreevy, with special guests Panny Bogdanos and Andrew Dalgano. Welcome everybody to this, I'm really sad to say, the last of our album analyses of 10cc's work. We're looking at Mirror Mirror tonight, which was 10cc's last album of course. And I'm joined, of course, by Paul, uh, who I think is at home in Chalton tonight. Hi, Paul. I am. Hi, everybody. Hi. Uh, um, and I think uh, his dog, Ziggy, is uh, <laughs> is in our midst as well. So we might be able to have a little chorus between her and Doddy. Thank you. Yes. Thank you for um, remembering the sex of my dog. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and uh, welcoming back for possibly the last time in a little while, but not forever, uh, the, the lovely Andrew and Panny, Aberdeen and California calling. Hello, chaps. Hello, guys. Nice to hear from you again. Uh, hey, Sean. Uh, hey, Paul. Hey, Andrew. Good to be uh, talking again. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, do you know what? I've been really, really looking forward to this podcast. And um, some listeners might be surprised to hear that uh, because I've been almost universally critical of of the post-1976 split output of of 10cc. I've liked a lot of stuff, but I've struggled with an awful lot of the records. But Mirror Mirror is, I have to say, hand on heart, a massive exception to that. And um, I'm going to have an awful lot of very, very positive things to say about it, which has really surprised me. But we, we really do need to put Mirror Mirror in its context. Uh, we've uh, most of us have now read the Mirror Mirror section of Liam's book. Uh, I've read it probably two or three times, as I've done with with a few chapters of that book, because it's become a, a kind of a, a right hand man, uh, not just for the podcast, but in terms of of me wanting to absolutely own this wonderful band. Andrew, can I can I lob the ball into your court and just ask you if you can try and try and put Mirror Mirror into some kind of context? Yes, absolutely, Sean. Although I'm leaning on my memory from reading the original version of the book, I have got the new book. It arrived a couple of days ago, but mm. haven't opened it yet. Oh my but word! From my um, I guess after meanwhile, there must have been a, a reasonable chance that, that that was it for 10CC because they'd they'd fallen out again, Graham and Eric, mm. and. As we know, the album hadn't been a commercial success, although some of the music on it was very good. But uh, I believe manager Harvey managed to strike a great deal with an independent Japanese company, Avex, I think, um, for far more money than um, would seem commercially sensible, much to the delight of Eric and presumably Graham as well. So they came together... well, I was going to say they came together to record this album. Of course, they didn't, did they? Came together a little bit for an acoustic version of I'm Not In Love, which actually was a minor hit in the UK. Yes. And um, a couple of songs, but largely recorded their own bits. And so for that very reason, many people think it's not a real 10cc album. My summary would be, yes, Andrew's right. It's, a, it's, it's two halves kind of stuck together. It's interesting that this um, 
chap Adrian Lee sort of helped smooth out the consistency of the sound because, mm, mm. as I understand it, he he worked on both Eric's tracks and Graham's tracks. Yes, um, and that is probably fairly important in terms of somewhat unifying what we have. Um, I, in summary, I think Eric's songs are weak and Graham's songs are strong. Yeah, if we, if we boil it down, Paul, to the black and white, mm. I'm with you. There yeah. are there are moments on on Eric's side, big ones actually, and and, and I'd like to look in detail at some of those. Uh, oh yeah, some, me too. some moments too, yeah. of real gorgeousness, gorgeousness. But Graham's on fire, I think, on this record. Uh, I do want to say that most of the album works okay, and that's mostly because of the consistent production uh, and involvement of Adrian Lee. I think. He did a good job to make it all sound the same. Uh, most of the music is fairly pleasant. Um, it's very mellow, very album-orientated rock. There's nothing really jarring here. Um, some of the tracks are lackluster and dull, but some are catchy and also easy to listen to. And as Paul said, uh, two people uh, doing uh, one half of an album, you know, two solo albums put together, if you like. Mm. Uh, the album... Uh, does uh, come across as stronger, a bit stronger than Meanwhile. And just like you said, Sean, I think Graham is really on fire. Mm. Uh, songs that he's uh, presented here, uh, as opposed to Eric's, which again, uh, some of Eric's songs seem to fall into into that same, uh, you know, eccentric way of that he writes. Uh, it doesn't always work too well. Yeah. But don't you ask me The reason I avoided Mirror Mirror, and and this came from literally reading about it at the time, I'd read that it was effectively just two mini solo albums kind of grafted together uh, with the the illusion of it being a 10cc album. So I, I judged this record totally on reputation, totally on reviews, saw it as a as a sham and avoided it like the plague in fact it wasn't until panny you you let me phrase this uh, carefully you lent me this yeah. album electronically um sure. that i i listened to it for the first time and i remember i took doddy out for a walk sure. and this is the key thing you know, I, I've I've struggled so badly with the 1980s 10cc stuff, and with with Meanwhile, uh, I had to play them and play them and play them so that the the songs would go in, uh, so that I would know the tunes, I'd be familiar with them, and I kind of own them. Mirror Mirror got me straight away. There were songs on it that I immediately could sing back, songs that I just liked. Uh, th- there was something warm something charming especially on the graham songs but also some of the the eric stuff as well it was a really really immediate record and it came as a a huge relief to me because i thought all right i thought this album was going to be shit but i i already like it and i'm only half an hour into my walk with doddy that both Eric and Graham are writing uh, from a better place and seem to be happier working by themselves. Uh, yeah. 
I, I miss the interaction between them, and I do think some of the songs need the input from the other uh, composer and mm. uh, member. But uh, yeah, I, I kind of agree with you, Sean. Uh, th this album doesn't leave uh, a bad taste in your mouth for the most part, even though there are some songs that suffer. Yeah, but it uh, should it should leave a, a bad taste in our mouth, shouldn't it? That's the irony. Right, because because, exactly. it, because it is a sham, but th th there's something about the production that we've mentioned already, and the songs mm. uh, are, are so much stronger than quite a lot of what's gone before, in my opinion. That we suddenly have a, a I think, a really likable record. I think Paddy makes a very good point there. I never thought of it the way he put it, that they're more comfortable writing alone. Mm. And uh, and that really delivers. Um, yes. Uh, I think that, that, might be the, that might be the key thing. I mean, it, it's not necessarily a sham because um, uh, many bands, uh, successful bands, don't actually write together. They might have two strong songwriters like Andy Partridge and Colin Moulding, for mm. example. Uh, I know the band interaction is much stronger within XTC. This is, this is a, an extreme example where yes, the, no, the tracks I, I, are being, I hear what you're saying. The tracks are being created differently, but um, uh, yeah, it, it happens to work this time out for sure. Yeah, even though they were actually recording in two separate countries. Yes, exactly. Yeah, Eric yes, was at home, I, wasn't he, in his French studio? Sorry, Andrew. I hate to be the one that kind of spoils about an agreement because between the four of us we, we do seem to have differences of opinion quite a lot but that's you know i was a massive fan of particularly windows and meanwhile but but also uh, out of 10 um i actually um i don't think it is as strong but i do fully agree that that graham's graham's songs are much stronger than than eric's and eric's continued all his all his songs are solo songs yes and i just don't ever got eric but even though he had great ideas and made wonderful contributions to songs, he did need a songwriting partner. Yeah, you, you've been saying that, haven't you, for a few podcasts, and Andrew, and I, I couldn't agree with you more. He, he so benefits from having, I don't know, critical co-producers in the room, people tweaking, adding ideas, twisting his ideas away from the kind of the bland or, or the silly. You're correct. I can think of the exception that proves the rule, in my opinion, mm -hmm. is Shock on the Tube, yes. which I, I would put up there with almost any 10cc song, okay. and that's credit that's credited to him alone. But he was really at firing at his peak at that. At that he was at his peak at that at that stage. Yes, um, it's, a, it's a very good point. Nothing is quite the joy it Now, he, uh, he, he writes a couple with Eric, doesn't he? And uh, and the rest, he's, he's got the keyboard player from the Meanwhile Tour. Is, is that right? On on yeah. Peace in Our Time, Steve Piggott. Was was he on the Meanwhile Tour? Yes. Yes, that's Steve Piggott, yeah. You yeah, I, I'm flicking through. I've got the, uh, the lovely CD booklet here. Um, I've got the 15-track uh, CD here. Yeah, uh, Graham has Tim Rice on The Monkey and the Onion, and uh, I'm not 100% sure, but I think Andrew Gold uh, contributed to Ready to Go Home a bit. He did. He uh, did. Graham, Graham, a, Graham. Her right. yeah. sure. You know the rest. 
one of the points I, I wanted to make was that it depends on what country you live in, what album yeah, you right. get. Well, I haven't got it. I just listened to it on YouTube, yeah, actually. The, the version Panny sent me starts with Yvonne's The One. And, yes. And then you get another Eric tune straight away, Code of Silence. And mm -hmm. the first track on the CD that I've got uh, is Peace in Our Time. And you'll notice I made an omission there deliberately. I deliberately don't want to talk about the I'm Not In Love tracks until the end of this pod, if that's okay, James. Yeah, that's fine, yeah. Bec yeah. Because I think it just kind of, it's a fly in the ointment. Surely Peace In Our Time can't have been considered an opening track. Well, yeah. discuss. Thank you for the gift, the freedom to wander in search of the light. Are we gonna let it shine? It's just, you know, different uh, record executives in different countries, you know, deciding what order to put the tracks in. Uh, the American market is different than the UK market, so. Uh, the Japanese is probably different than, you know, both the UK and the US market, too. Mm. Uh, I mean, this album, from my understanding, did fairly well in Japan. Yes. You know, so I, you know, I, I tend to play the 15-track Japanese version when I, you know, pull this out once in a while and I play it. Um, yeah. But just very quickly, Go if on. you want to know the, the songs, the US album omitted the following four songs. Yvonne's the one, Bluebird, Margot Wants the Mustard, and Now You're Gone. Yeah, Okay. Yeah. I suppose what we've got here is is the 15-track CD that we'll critique. Paul, earlier on you said that you didn't feel that Peace In Our Time was an opener. Um, what, are, what are your three opinions on Peace In Our Time? I'm not that keen on it, and the reason is it sounds like it's a, it's a co-write with Steve Piggott, mm. but it doesn't sound like a Graham song. It sounds like something that Steve Piggott may have started. Um, I just get that that, that feeling. Um, it's 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 not one of his best collaborations on the album for sure. Yeah, let me take it from there. I, I agree with you on that, Paul. Uh, the song starts off okay, but the lyrics, you know, aren't more than like idealistic cliches about mm. how we reach peace in our time. Yeah, um, yeah. It's probably one of the more religious songs that Graham or Eric have ever written for 10CC, other than say maybe "Ready to Go Home." Um, the lyrics, are, the lyrics. I don't know. I, I find that it's like you know the lyrics are suffering in places, and Graham. Billy doesn't sing this one that well. It's not very convincing. I mean, I think Eric could have probably sung it, you know, uh, better with the style that he sings in. Uh, there is a couple lines that make me laugh. Uh, and again, these get back to the cliche things that I mentioned. You know, one is the line that says, like, forgive is the key, the perfect emotion. Will you show us the way to peace in our time? I mean, it just sounds like, I don't know, I just feel like I'm reading a pamphlet for... <laughs> You know, for the care, for the Care Bears movie. Leading the way, show us to the promised land. Tear down these walls that keep us in prison. What we're praying for is peace in our time. Yeah, for the Care Bears movie. Uh, I don't know. I just, I think the other, there's another line. I think it says, "Salvation is the key. We have to keep trying." It's just a little bit. 
of this, uh, you know, world peace idealistic point of view, which, you know, trying to put it into the song, sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't. And mm. I think this is one of the low points on the album, if I can say that. How interesting. Andrew, I'm dying to hear what you all say, because uh, I'm sitting here with a grin on my face. Go on, Andrew. <laughs> it's one that's just an all right one for me, to be honest. Not a highlight. Definitely not one of the worst songs on the album. Mm. Very much to add to it, to be honest. It's not one that holds my attention. Do you know what? I, I have fought with myself over the last few months to not absolutely love this song to death. And guess what? I absolutely love this track to death. Wow. Uh, wow. I really, really do. I, I, I guess I guess it, it plugs straight into my late take that leanings. It plugs into my guilty pleasure of the Lighthouse family and my love of, of bands like Tears for Fears, particularly the later stuff of Tears for Fears. I, th I think Graham even sounds a bit like Roland from Tears for Fears on this one. I think it's, it's, it's tailor-made for uh, pop writing in the charts in the 90s. Um, and I'm surprised that they didn't flog it to, to one of those kind of more slightly grown-up boy bands. Uh, because I think this is a, a really, a really well-written pop song. And I'm going to be a bit of an Andrew Dalgano here by saying that the, actually, for once, the, the bland and, and quite crass lyrics don't spoil it for me because wow. I think it's a lovely vocal from Graham. He sounds as croaky as hell, but it absolutely works for me. And the melody is just right. Um, I think there's a lot of subtlety in this record. Um, there are some very, very simple pop progressions in in the chords particularly on the chorus um, which is you know the, the sort of obvious one four five sort of structure that you would get on say von's the one you know you know one four five and the chorus of this one is is that kind of, of of structure but the intro and the verse i think have some incredibly subtle um chord changes um that we, we don't we just don't notice because they all sound a bit similar. But in terms of what Graham is doing with his fingers, I, I swear to you, chaps, this is really, really beautifully subtle writing. Um, it's in it, the verse starts in a minor key, in D minor, and the, and the basic structure is that you go from D minor to A minor. Can you hear the guitar? Okay. Yeah, it's fine. Okay, D minor to A minor. The first time round, you get this lovely. G over E, which is just a nice, and then F over D, so, and then back to that D minor, A minor, and then this lovely C7 add 9 to F. I mean, that, that, that chord is just really, really nice. And then again back to D minor, A, and then the gorgeous, Paul will like this one, and he can tell us a little <laughs> bit about this, B-flat over C. Mm -hmm. What does B-flat over C remind you of, Paul? It reminds me of uh, five o'clock in the morning, It's the or I'm not in love. It's the big yeah, expectant chord. Absolutely. Yeah. And things we do for love, the intro as well, does that have a similar yeah. kind of thing? It does. It's yeah, a it does, very, very Graham trick. And then 
the final part of that verse takes you into this fabulously different territory. Again, the D minor, but then a little twist into B, B flat, and then get these chords, F over G. Oh, and then this one. Well, it's the same same suspension again. It's exactly the same suspension. And then this one, which is, wait for it, E sus four over G. Yeah. Do you see what I mean? Yeah. uh, So F over G to E sus four over G. So together, and and, I apologise if I play these really, really badly. I, th- I think that they are really, really lovely chords. And then and then the payoff after that kind of suspended pre-chorus thing, which is just so nice, is just really one, four, five. So F, C, F and A minor, and then F to the C again. And then it just drops down from the fifth to the fourth to B flat. And so you've got really, really subtle work on the verses and then an obvious chorus. And that for me is, you know, it's what pop writing should be. That's the kind of thing that happens in the charts all the time. And, and I, think, I think Peace In Our Time is a really cracking pop song. Where the wild wind blows, the deserts are shifting and the seed Great explanation, Sean. Really, really like that. It'd be interesting to know who wrote what, because uh, uh, we don't know who wrote what bit. No. Um, uh, certainly, that complex chord movement would normally be associated with Graham for sure. But, um, but maybe we don't know um, a lot about Steve Pigott's abilities. He, he may well be, you know, able to come up, come up with stuff like that. Yeah, definitely. And, um, you know, the sort of the verse in minor, the chorus in major, I mean, that could arguably be a Graham yeah. thing. But I, It's I, funny, you know, because just instinctively I didn't hear it as a Graham song. And that, now I'm wondering, broken down to its sort of skeleton there, I'm wondering why I didn't. Because now hearing you play, it does sound more like d- that. Do you know what? I, th- I think it's because it's produced like a 90s pop record. Yeah, you could be right. Yeah, because Graham is kind of in the current idiom, and we're used to yeah. him. We're used to him playing, arguably, old-fashioned songs performed in an old-fashioned way. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. But here's Graham yeah. with a with a funky program drum part, um, with a sound that sounds like it, it could have belonged on the radio back it back at, the, at that time. Well, again, I. I don't think musically it suffers that much. I think it suffers because of the lyrics. Yes, it is bland, isn't it? And it's a shame, really, because I'd I'd love this to have a really a powerful lyric. And we'll we'll look at powerful lyrics, won't we, uh, later on in our in our in our discussion tonight. Thank you for the chance to light up the darkness, leading the way, show us to the promised land. 
absolutely fascinating analysis. Thank you very much for sharing that with us. It doesn't change the fact that I don't massively like the song, but uh, I always learn a lot from you guys, and I've learned a lot more just now. Well, I mean, I'm glad I had that sort of hour or two. Uh, it was last night. I, I, I brought my glass of red wine into the man cave, which I, I cleared out a bit because it's been an absolute tip, and uh, thought, I know what I'll do. I'll grab the guitar um, for a bit of well-being shall we say and um and i sat there and i thought i I know i'll work this out this one's going to be a piece of piss i want to find out why (laughs) i like it so much and it took me an hour just to work out the intro and i thought bloody hell that there's there's something else going on here and that often happens doesn't it when you just discover with these great songwriters i think what makes them great is that what sounds so simple and catchy and you can say this about anyone, can't you? The Beatles, Bacharach, Brian Wilson, you name it. In many ways, what their gift is, is making extremely expressive, innovative and and quite clever craft, chord progressions, sound like they're really simple and catchy. And I think that's one of the things that, that does make Graham one of the, the great British songwriters for me. I couldn't agree. Yeah, here, 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 here. I think Eric puts in a, a, a cracking one next with Code of Silence, doesn't he? Oh, no, he doesn't. I thought Code of Silence was just not not very good. Um, there's, oh. uh, that, yeah, I know. Well, uh, I'd be interested to hear what uh, others say. I, I feel bad because I'm always uh, criticising Eric's songs, and I love him. <laughs> um, but th- yeah, this yeah, yeah. song... This no, it just doesn't do it for me. It sounds uh, contemporary for sure. It's it's tense. It's tense. It's it's got some tension, but mm. the, the melody doesn't rise, uh, or uh, or the chords don't change enough for me to get involved with it. I'll just put it like that. But that's interesting, Paul. And I I think there's a tension, and for me the tension comes from tiny changes in the chords. It's almost like the yeah. chords change a semitone. Like one, literally, if he's playing. If he's got his two hands on the keyboard, literally one hand is moving a centimetre to the right and then a centimetre. Mm. Do you see what I mean? So you've got these yeah, very, I, very I, subtle changes. I see he's doing that, but um, it, it just doesn't work in this instance. Yeah, I, I find it um, a very disappointing song. It's my least favourite on the album. It's very long. Very oh, boring. God, it's, it's two minutes too long, I think. Yeah, five minutes, 39, so it just goes on and on forever. Yeah. But also, it just, it's got this kind of, all three of Eric's solo songs, well, three of them anyway, all seem, to these ears, and I'm not a musician, I keep I keep saying that, just sound very flat. I don't know, yes. are, they, are they all written in a, in a key, Code of Silence, Age of Consent, and everything is not enough or, or what is it that's making them sound so flat I don't know I, I, I couldn't be bothered to work out the keys on those ones Andrew to be honest <laughs> <laughs> sorry you said you liked it. did you not say that you like this one in the same way that I, I love the opening track because of its tears for fearsiness I like Code of Silence because I, I can see Paul McCartney post uh, boozy dinner going into Eric's little studio and just pottering around on the keyboard and just adding these samples, which aren't particularly groundbreaking or trendy or anything, but I think the chords are really nice. 
This track appeals to my Blue Nile tastes. I don't know if you know of, of this Scottish band, Blue Nile. It started I'm sure in, Andrew does. <laughs> yeah. Town in the Rain, for sure. That's a great song. Yeah, Tinseltown in the Rain, absolutely wonderful. And, and this track reminds me a little bit of Blue Nile's Hats album that, that came out at the end of the 80s, which is really, really gorgeous. Um, Code of Silence doesn't touch it, I have to say. Um, for a start, you, you've got... Paul Buchanan, who was the leader of that band, who just had a habit of being able to kind of grab you by the heart and throat. There's something, for me, very satisfying about those chords in there, Paul, uh, and, and that, that it totally ticks my Blue Nile boxes. Um, and it, it is very repetitive and it's very, very long. I think there's a, a really nice guitar solo. And the only thing that, that drags me kind of into the quicksand with it is I can't shake the feeling that this is a song written about having a row with Gloria and uh, storming off and not speaking for a couple of days. <laughs> and you're a sensitive soul. I mean, he was in it for the long <laughs> haul. And even if, even if that happened, well, he was perfectly entitled to write the, a song about it. And as we know, they, they got back together. So No, no, absolutely. But I'm, I am being facetious and I'm being a bit cheeky there. I want it yeah. to be about censorship. I want it to be about people's voice being um, denied them if you like, in a political sense. But I, I, I get the feeling that this is another one of Eric's kind of domestic dramas. Oh, definitely. And that that's that has that going for it, that that comes through clear. I don't think there's any doubt that it's a personal song, not a, shall we say, a social or political one. Sure. Does that disappoint you, Penny? You, you know, Sean, this is probably, to me, one of the best tunes on the album. Mm. Um, it was always an early favorite of mine, and I just love the subtle feel of it. The production is just very subtle, and like you say, the chord changes are very subtle. Yeah. I think, uh, like you said as well, McCartney probably had a couple glasses of wine, you know, went into the production room at Eric's house or wherever it was, and started diddling around and kind of came up with probably the chord progression, yes. which I think Eric probably added to. Of all the, all the songs that Eric and Paul have written together, you know, I'm going to say it. I think this is probably the strongest one and the one I'm most grateful that Eric chose to uh, finish. Um, mm. Wow. You, and you're talking about the, the cachet of songs on Press to Play as well, Penny? Well, I'm talking about the outtakes from Press to Play. You know, okay, you know, fair like, enough. Like uh, Yvonne's the one and... Uh, Break the promises. Yeah, don't break the promises. I think this is the strongest of those outtakes. Yeah, um, I, I, yeah, I, I think break the promise. Break the promises is is awful uh, myself, yeah. but I like Yvonne's the one. I, I'm looking forward to getting around to talking about that. I quite like some tracks on Press to Play. I bought that just the other day, actually. Uh, I'd only yeah. sort of heard it on Spotify before, and there are some interesting tracks, aren't they? Pretty little head. 
I think is is yeah. really yeah. good. And there's an edge to Eric's contribution to that album that I really like. Actually, there's this kind of a spikiness. Yeah, that's probably a whole other podcast, actually. Yes, um, I, 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 th- I, I think we definitely need to, to do justice to Eric's contribution. Or, or let's say the relationship, the working relationship mainly, but the personal relationship between Paul and, and Eric, which goes back such a long way and continues to this day. Yes. Uh, so that with with Press to Play is the most visible uh, peak and and that really the sort of key point in a relationship I suppose that would definitely be worth talking about probably outside the scope of what we're doing here could I step in for a second though because um, I think you guys are going to have to explain this to the listeners I for one didn't know it was a, a Paul McCartney collaboration and it's certainly not listed as a Paul McCartney collaboration at no, least in not. Wikipedia no and, and on uh, I've got the booklet in front of me and it's only credit to Eric, it's credited to Eric Stewart alone but in uh, correct me if I'm wrong, Paul. In Eric's book, he talks about uh, Paul McCartney going into that studio and putting together a, a kind of track. What's that you say? It's a deadly game. Talk to me now. It's a deadly game. Deadly game. Let's let's talk about Yvonne's the one. Yeah, uh, that that's fitting because it's a McCartney Stewart song started during the press to play sessions and there's a widely available version with paul singing it Mm. very sweetly um not in the kind of full-on reggae style that that uh, eric uses on on mirror mirror fans really rate this song extremely highly um which is which is interesting mm. uh it's, it's pretty catchy um probably a good opener for the for the album and certainly one of eric's best on mirror mirror um nothing it, it's it's not considering the two songwriters that are in the room it's uh it's it's not that special in my opinion, but it's it's pretty enjoyable. Mm. Sorry, I'm damning it with faint praise. I've never been a fan of this song. I, I find it to be again just trite. I find that Eric, uh, you know, giving it that reggae. Uh, production with the seal drums it's just crap at a point and somebody's found there's obviously a key on that keyboard that's got a little whistle sample which is used a little too much have you spotted that (laughs) yeah it's the kind of thing that that you that your kids spot in in the music shop isn't it yeah that's right yeah I really like it. It's one of my favourite songs from the album. It's really nice to hear Eric singing about a girl other than um, Gloria, actually. But, um, <laughs> but may, maybe really maybe McCartney came up with that name, actually. In fairness, well, did, didn't it? Didn't it come right. from uh, a postcard from Nick Mason of Pink Floyd? Ah. Uh, when I first saw Yvonne, volcanoes erupted. 
or I'm, am I mixing that up with? No, I'm not mixing that up with Margot wants a mustard. Uh, that that that's another story. So yeah. I, I, I think I think I'm right there. Yeah, but it's a good song. Now, actually, you know, Penny, Penny, you you mentioned the reggae word there again, and I thought it might be a good opportunity if if, if Sean and Paul wouldn't mind just to sort of talk a little bit about about what constitutes reggae and versus calypso. And I think this all came about from me saying to Sean. I never really thought of Feel the Love as a reggae song before. And then we started talking between us as to as to what actually is a, a reggae versus ska versus um, mm-hmm. calypso. It's, I don't know if you guys feel like demonstrating <laughs> it. As opposed to the beat being on the one and the three, it's on the two and the four. So reggae is effectively slowed down ska and what they have in common is exactly what Panny was saying which is um, this kind of offbeat feel where in, in, in western rock you go one, two, three, four and the bass comes in on the one bounding one, two, three, four bang, bang, bang whereas in reggae one, two, three, four one, do, 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 do it come, the bass comes in on the two rather than the one, and that's just one of the elements. The guitar, the, the guitar plays on the offbeat. So one, two, three, four, boom, jack, jack, ding, jack, jack. In my mind, reggae is is sort of the backbeat occurs at half the rate of normal rock. Normally, the snare is on the two and the four. Hmm. But what happens, the first hit of the snare, rather than being on the two, it's it's on the three, yeah. uh, if you like. So it only comes down once in a bar. So there's a lot more space. Yeah. The, th- the, the trouble about terminology, uh, I guess, is for, it's all very well for kind of, um, uh, you know, music, Musicologist to talk about submediants and aeolian cadences and, and all that. <laughs> but, but we but, love all that uh, shit, Paul. Well, yeah, we do. But the, 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 because it's not those terms aren't widely used, no. they're fairly accurate and they haven't been appropriated. Whereas reggae, nothing wrong with the appropriation, has been essentially it's used by anybody in any context so essentially if somebody thinks it's reggae it's reggae i'm with you and i definitely feel uh, andrew but feel the love is is reggae ish uh, I, I think Yvonne's the one is calypso ish and that's yeah. simply because it's a bit faster and it's got those horrific steel drums all over it <laughs> but you know yeah. what i'm, I'm going to be controversial here i on balance i like Yvonne's the one I think it's it's cracking pop writing again. It's it's obvious pop writing, but it's good pop writing. It's the sort of thing that was the staple of Spice Girls and S Club Seven and Bewitched. I mean, shit. I wish I'd written those songs. It's much yeah. harder. It's much harder to write a catchy hooky hit than it is to write feel the benefit. When I first Yeah, I agree with that. Okay, yeah, it's easy to write long-form songs, but it's really hard to write that kind of two-and-a-half-minute pop classic. And I think Yvonne's the one kind of delivers that. The arrangement is horrific, but the song itself, <laughs> I think, is really good. And his vocal is absolutely fantastic. Heart, 
one of my favourite Eric vocals since the 70s. Wow. But not, you, uh, not my favourite. We're, we're going to come on to that. Um, but I, I th honestly, I think it's a great performance. Sorry, Paul. Have you, I was going to say, Sean, have you heard the, the original version sung by Paul McCartney? Yes, then? I have. I think, I think Eric nails it and, and Paul McCartney sounds weak on his. Um, Which must be the reason it didn't make it onto Press to Play because, uh, in my opinion, the songs, all the songs on Press to Play, uh, let alone the two, they, the ones they co-wrote, they're all mm. weak. I think this is a better song than any song on Press to Play. Mm, yeah, I know where you're coming from there, Andrew, to be honest. Um, there's there's a couple of tracks that are more interesting, I think, on the album. But but I think this is the catchiest of any of those, arguably. Yes, I yeah. think I think you're right. So I'm surprised they didn't put it on because it's it's very commercial compared with the sort of dense, very uh, yeah, intricate songs um, on Press to Play. Yeah. Do you know what? And I'm going to sound really puerile here, just for a change, just for a change. One <laughs> of one of the reasons I kind of uh, it ticked, this song tickled me right from the, the off when I was walking Doddy and listening to this on headphones, thanks to Panny. Um, it, it seemed to me that the, the album started with the words, when I first saw her bum. <laughs> and do you know what? I've never been able to shake it. And that, that makes me kind of mental age of seven. Um, but but, but it, I don't know, it just raises a smile and it helps me like it. <laughs> This being a song, you know, a good pop song um, in terms of the theme of the song. Yeah, I think I think that's one of the strong points in the song. You know, he's here's a guy who sees this woman, Yvonne, and he's pursuing her, and she seems not to be interested. And he finally, you know, tr you know, he tries a couple times, and then he just loses interest. And when he loses interest, all of a sudden, you know, waiting for him to come around. Um, you know, it, it's kind of a classic pop tune in that regard. I think, I think lyrically, this one stands, you know, stands up a lot better than some of the stuff you know Eric had written up to this point. Oh. Uh, but you know, maybe not up to this point, but you know, like the stuff on Meanwhile and some of the stuff on uh, Windows in the Jungle. I mean, some of those songs don't quite have that uh, pop flow, you know, or that you that know, immediacy, that perhaps. Yeah, that immediacy, exactly. Um, but anyway, I, I wanted to point out that I think lyrically, you know, it's that, it, you know the, the lyrics work in this song quite a bit. Yeah, no, no, that's a really, really nice point. And, and another thing that I think leapt out of the headphones when I first listened to this is the first Mirror Mirror track I ever heard, and I really loved that the, the intimacy and immediacy of the production it's really up front isn't it this record and when we we were looking back l last time talking about meanwhile where everything feels like it's literally 400 yards down the corridor drenched <laughs> drenched in reverb do you know what i mean this one right. it, it, it's like you're sitting in the room with eric and graham yeah they, they benefit from bringing bringing everything back in house don't yeah. they? they really they really you can see what a mistake the production choices on Meanwhile are yeah. just by listening to Mirror Mirror. What you, whatever you think of the sort of merits of the individual songs, it's a much nicer listen all round, isn't it? Yeah. Oh, it, 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 it really is. I, I, I think it's it's a, a, actually a really enjoyable collection of songs. I think it's the <laughs> most. I think it, genuinely, I think it's the most enjoyable collection of songs since Bloody Tourists. 
And I'm not okay. saying that I'm not saying that to be controversial. I just I actively look forward to listening to this record and do always enjoy it, even with the boring ones. Yeah, I think you're right. I think the variation is that we always looked for and got from ZNCC is yeah. kind of back. It's not you know, let's not kid ourselves. We're not we're not back to the same levels, but we have no. got a varied a very varied palette of songs. Yeah. Uh, each one re- reflecting on uh, and contrasting with the ones preceding yeah. it, if you like. Yeah. So, so and I, most, yeah, yeah so most of them have got a real personality of their own as well, haven't they? Yeah, good point. And I think that's I think that's a key ingredient myself. You know, it, it, it's kind of one of those songs that has, as Paul said, you know, it, it varies in, in the in the uh, the feeling throughout the song. You know, you're talking about all the songs, Paul, but mm-hmm. I, I think that this song kind of captures you know the high emotions and the low emotions at the same time that is really interesting and i've I've never never even delved into the lyrics of this one panny i've just kind of enjoyed the fluff of it hmm. yeah because he says uh you know he you know he seems to give up on her when he sees her covered with roses i think he says now i'm not sure what that means covered with roses but he realizes that she's not the one i think he even sings you know she's not the one you know and uh I think he just sees her in a different light as time goes on. Yeah. And, and that happens with us, you know, even in real life. Bluebird, take me on your wing. Teach me how to fly. Teach me how to sing. So let's talk about the three songs that Graham wrote on his own with no collaborators. So Bluebird... Grow old with me, and now you're gone. Yes. Which do you think was the strongest of those three tracks, guys? What do you reckon I'd say, Andrew? Well, I know what I'd say, which was now you're gone. <laughs> I think you probably say, oh, I don't know. No, I'm going to con- I'm going to be convinced by my own one. So I think you'd say the same as me. Now you're gone. I like that one, but it's not my favourite of those. I'd probably say Bluebird. I'd say Bluebird, Penny. But- I like Bluebird, um, although I'm not really sure what it's about. It's maybe about inspiration or something like that. Uh, it's a nice little song. Um, certainly coming after the one-two punch of Eric's Yvonne's The One and Code of Silence, it, it, it really um, sounds different and sounds fresh and nice mm. with, with that kind of abridged version of the Survivor riff kicking it off. Um, yeah, definitely. It's a, class- it, it's, it's a mirror image, isn't it, of the Survivor Riff? Yeah, it's, it's a classic Graham song in that it, it's beautifully crafted with some, with some lovely chord movements and yeah. nice harmonies, obviously self-harmonies. Um, yeah, it, 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 it's good. Uh, it's not quite one of the high points on the album, but it's 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 nice when you hear it. Um, yeah. yeah, I like it. I like yeah, it. I, I, I'm with you, Paul. And it, it's such a trademark, particularly the intro, I think, and and the beginning of the song. You've got the the major to minor movement yeah. that that that, yeah. we, that we banged on at length about with with the Graham Goldman thing. The lovely clean guitar sound. Um, yeah, mm-hmm. close and intimate. It's warm. There's yeah. a, dry, a dry production; it's not drenched in reverb, and, and I think that really helps the song just communicate 
a, a lovely feeling. I, I think it's a, a very, very enjoyable thing. And the thing, one of the things that, that struck me more recently about it was there's some, some nice wordplay in there as well. And it kind of harks forward to what we no doubt will say about Ready to Go Home in that you've got some wordplay around brother and mother and then the word father, as in further away. Um, yes. And you really sense that, that, that Jaime's there in, in Graham's mind and he's, he's very much there as a sort of spiritual light. Mother, 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 knowing what to do. Yeah, though it's fairly light-hearted uh, here, or, 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 or light, I should say, not light-hearted. Um, uh, the, that bit of wordplay reminds me of the way he twists uh, Channel Swimmer on the world on the word crawl, which I've always loved. You know, after talking about yeah. the, the side stroke, the other side stroke, but I ain't going to crawl back to you, yes. which completely pivots a song at a, at a key musical moment of the mm. song. I, I love the way that happens. Okay, that's another song I'm talking about. But yeah, it's a sim- similar sort of approach. Just it's, it, it's subtle, but it's just a nice bit of craftsmanship, that wordplay there. Totally, I'm totally with you. Yeah, when I, when I hear this, it seems that Graham is not going to let Eric uh, be the only one who's got a connection to the Beatles. I mean, I, <laughs> I find that parts of this remind me of Blackbird by the Beatles and also that song by McCartney I think it's on them <laughs> called Bluebird <laughs> yeah yes and, and, with the know, same uh, counterpoint harmonies in it yeah absolutely I think yes. uh, I think the, you know the whole feel of the production really makes this song kind of work and yeah, some of the lyrics tend to be cliche in parts, but uh, what you said about uh, there might be an indirect connection uh, to the loss of Jaime in the in this song. Uh, mm-hmm. I think Graham kind of sets the undertone for that in a couple places. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Don't forget that there's a, a track called Grow Old With Me as well, also by Graham, of course, uh, which, so that, I mean, I know it's a Lennon track, but uh, you've got, it may be coincidental, but you've got uh, two titles associated with McCartney and Lennon there, both written by Graham on the same album. I'd missed that connection, Paul, well spotted. You said you will, you said I do. Now that's the best thing for me and you. Subconscious, if anything, but uh, I think, but uh, interesting. Yeah, and uh, with Grow Old With Me, uh, one of the things I really like about it, even though I think the song's a little bit more bland than some of the better songs on the album, it it is, I think, affecting and it's personal. It's likeable as well. I love the fact you've got a string quartet on there. And and that kind of harks back to the Graham Goulburn thing. Yeah, a little bit, doesn't it? It Um, does. Yeah. I, I, I do like Grow Up With Me. I think um, you can almost hear the compulsion to craft songs mm. with, you know, with Graham. And they're not all masterpieces, I know some of them are, but um, I just love the fact that somehow you can hear that need to have the song come to fruition. I, I get that very strongly in Grow Up With Me. I'm not quite sure why. And I like the... I like the, the sort of the, the opening of the verse, particularly the harmonic movement at the, at the beginning of each verse. Yeah, a nice song. You give me more than words can. 
Point between the kind of the thigh slaps, you know, the Buddy Holly thigh slaps, mm-hmm. and, and the very kind of DIY spared, uh, well, paired back do it yourself production on, you know, yeah, that just, kind of vocal just... scatting. It's kind of like um, yeah. an acoustic version of My Body the Car, isn't it? The way he kind of uh, <laughs> does the, yeah, the, the, yeah, the, the, what would you call it? The beatbox, yeah, well, almost. It's a, yeah, it's a very kind of pers- personal, uh, up close recording that. Yeah. Um, there's a lot yeah, of char- a lot of charm in his in this stuff. I don't know why I was so hard of hearing. I only listen to what I wanted to. See, I don't like that little diggy doggy a diggy doggy background. <laughs> you don't like that. I don't like it because I don't think it's necessary. I mean, take no. it out, and, and I think the song becomes so much better. You know, mm. I mean. Okay. Buddy Holly feel I think of every day every day things are going faster you know whatever I mean yeah. uh, I mean it, it has that feel but that vocal that diggy doggy thing just oh it just kind of ruins it for me I wish it was I wish you'd take it out and just leave the hand slaps in without it you know it's it's just one of the things about the song that kind of ruins it for me Maybe it was a kind of subconscious self-distancing or anything or, or something where, you know, it sounded, he was um, maybe a little too personal. So he, he, he sort of upped the comedic element or something just to just to take the edge off it. I don't yeah, know. That, yeah you, you, you might be right. It feels like a demo to me. Yeah, it feels like it. Yeah, it feels like it, he recorded it and thought, yeah, I can use that without redoing it yeah. or something like that. Yeah. Right? Um, but yeah. I but I really like this and and so many of the tracks on this album that remind me of bands that I really like and and I mm-hmm. guess I suppose gun to my head they might they might be guilty pleasures Graham's tracks on here particularly the ones he wrote on his own remind me of a band I love who started off in the in the late eighties and uh, kind of almost had hits but didn't the Lilac Time 
uh, led by St- uh, Stephen Duffy. Yeah. Better known as Tintin Duffy. Uh, wonderful uh, kind of Simon and Garfunkel type acoustic pop band. Um, Stephen Duffy's a great, great songwriter. He's gone on to write with Bare Naked Ladies and uh, Robbie Williams, uh, among many others. And a lot of these songs remind me of some of those early Lilac Time things. You say in the paper boat, on an inky sea, still you don't know why you're alone. He had a similar kind of extremely, almost painfully honest approach to songwriting. Chords really crafted, like you were saying, Paul. Um, you, you feel that literally every ounce of the song has been planned so that the fingers are exactly where they need to be um, mm. and uh, you, you and I both find that kind of songwriting very satisfying um, mm. and, and I do I I love hearing Graham's the, the mechanics of Graham Gouldman laid bare on this album <laughs> do you know what I mean yeah, yeah exactly yeah I was looking through some pictures Fascinating. No, my last point I was going to make, just still while we're on the subject of Now You're Gone, he wrote a really, really good song for his last EP called Just Like Yesterday. And I think if you try and work the timeline of who he's writing about, I think he's writing about exactly the same person on on this one. Check it out. Okay. Because we we kind of follow his marital life, don't we, through the albums. And I, he's I, been mar- yeah, he's been married three times. Yes, um, and I don't know the sort of uh, the story of his, of, his, of his second wife and, and when they uh, split up exactly. Um, uh, maybe it was around this time. I'm, I'm not sure. Any, anybody know? Just to answer Paul's question, on just like yesterday, he wrote about meeting someone in '82 and and d- divorcing them or getting separating from them in about '92. So. Okay, well that, that 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 explains it, doesn't it? <laughs> right, that's okay. very interesting. Yeah, and of course the contrast between being stuck in hotels on bloody tourists to splitting up and look here and then it being acrimoniously divorced on 10 out of 10. We've almost seen Graham's married life kind of laid bare, haven't we? Yeah. And Absolutely. I was, I was going to say, uh, even on Grold with me, I mean, uh, it seems like Graham, I don't know, is he, if he appears to have fallen in love again, and maybe this is a song to celebrate the new love too, you know, I've met this new woman. I want to grow old with you. Uh, I've always kind of wondered about that too. You know, now we're talking about these different relationships he's had. Yeah. Well, his current wife, is she called Arabella? I think it's Ariella. Yes, because there's a a song dedicated to her, isn't there, Um, on his his recent album. And they met relatively recently, I think. Yes. Um, So there was probably a long period where... um, between his second, between his second marriage breaking up and his and meeting his third wife, okay. I think. If I can just uh, throw in a musical reference there, uh, chap. So, Panny, you mentioned "Grow Old with Me." Can I just yeah. briefly play the end of "Grow Old with Me"? Because in my notes, I've written there's gorgeous XTC harmonies, and I just need to remind myself of them. Can I just indulge me for a second? It's Andrew Bold singing the harmonies. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, there we are. Yeah, I love that kind of rolling. It's not quite counterpoint, is it? But it, it's kind of that till I die, yeah. God only knows thing. 
Um, but yeah. it re- really reminds me of XTC, the kind of things they were doing on that wonderful album, Paul, Apple, uh, Apple Venus. Um, mm. Things like Harvest Festival, Easter Parade, and, and songs like that, where there's that gorgeous um, kind of interplay between harmonies. And I, I love that. <laughs> You know, I just noticed in my notes, I wrote Beach Boy style harmonies at the end is magical. Yeah. yeah. I, w- I wish you'd been the first person to mention the Beach Boys tonight, Panny, but hey ho. <laughs> I don't care that, now. That can never be. Panny, did, did did you say that Andrew Gold sang the harmonies on that? Right. You can hear him on the backing vocal quite clearly on this one. And right, I think, right. I think it's, uh, I mean, other than the lead vocal on. Uh, um, ready to go home. I think it's his only other input in this album. And, yeah, um, I think I think I, the song could have. You know, I, I think Andrew Gold, Gold sings it wonderfully, and his backing vocals are very clear if you listen to it. But I, I think this one thing that the song misses is Eric's vocal too. I think Eric's voice would have sweetened this up a little bit yeah, more. Yeah. Well, yes, that wasn't wasn't to be for this album, of course. Yeah, but you're absolutely right. You're absolutely right. I think that these songs are surprisingly strong, considering uh, the, the the paucity of, of musicians and contributors to them. Um, well, well done, Adrian Lee, for kind of trying to bring it all together. Like you said, very early doors on on this on this pod. I think he's done a a, a very good job here. Um, he, he, he's trying to make the sound that the songs kind of hang together doesn't always work um, I think we should look at uh, Eric's solo tunes now Graham's songs are very much based on the acoustic guitar and Eric seemed to be based in with without trying to sound too geeky in in MIDI land in other words songs that are programmed on, with a computer and a keyboard where you, you literally play your parts in on a keyboard and then your producer i.e. Adrian Lee then chooses what sounds to nominate to those parts that you've recorded it's a it's a very new way of recording it's got a pretty brown, I think these recordings differ so hugely from the magic that was created in Strawberry in the late 60s and, and early to mid 70s is that in those days those guys had a real there's a real sense of experimentation risk yeah. and jeopardy because they had a tape recorder and they pressed record and they would try things out and it was all about creating that sound in that ambient space at that moment that would literally stay there forever in this new world and and i i'm i'm a midi recorder myself you know i do it all the time it's just the it's the way of the world eric's now part of that midi recording world that isn't actually recording what it is is just um it's a computer remembering where your fingers landed what notes they hit how hard they hit them and at what time they hit them and I, I, I had a funny memory Paul going back to mm. when when you and I were collaborating on a track for my Dumb Angel album 
and we were you were playing piano on my Diane and, oh, yeah. and, and there was a kind of a piano kind of a trill thing in the middle ring that you played right. you were playing along to a click track and you you got one of the notes slightly wrong and then what I did mm -hmm. I just got my mouse on this one megabyte Atari computer that we were using and I just moved your note up and across and it, it and it was perfect and you just looked at me and you said oh bastard <laughs> did I, I yeah I, I don't remember I don't remember the trill but it, it, yeah it, it just shows you that um, uh, recording technology and creativity I think we'd all agree probably came together in the 70s just when it was it wasn't live anymore but it still had live elements both in the performance and the mixing yes it had to be is. it had to be performed yes yeah. that's right they couldn't create a performance they had to actually physically record it whereas in 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 the 90s you're now in in the in a very very different world where you can create a musical performance not vocally but instrumentally you can you can move things you can change the notes you can change the timing and you can change the sound and that's a key thing and and for me the, the point i'm making in this long preamble is that it takes the decision making that the chemistry and excitement out of the decision of what to record at the time because literally all you need to worry about is just banging down some performance and then you can have a producer change that performance according to what sounds that he wants to impose on that recording and and yep. what what you lose completely is a, a kind of a biochemistry uh, you lose any kind of immediacy and it's all uh, the, 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 you lose the danger, the fear, the excitement, and, and adrenaline of the red light going on. Shit, I, I've, I've got to do a good take here. It doesn't matter anymore. It sucks all the soul and all the feeling out of it. Yeah. I mean, uh, yeah. It, it's a problem with a lot of the, you know, music that was created with some of this technology where you know the, the focus was to get it perfect every time as opposed to you know creating some type of tension or some type of chaos that you know yeah. might you know that chaos of maybe hitting the wrong note that makes it so different that it has a better feel to yes. it yes uh eric's songs you know as we're talking about like i think age of consent uh is the production on it is so bland and boring. Um, <laughs> I mean, I, I I wrote in my notes it plods along like a horse with an injured leg. <laughs> <laughs> that that I is mean, that is very complimentary, Panny. You've you've been very yeah. gentle there. Yeah, I mean, uh, I just I, you know I can't believe that that Eric. Uh, I mean, I mean, I just can't. I I know that Adrian Lee probably did his best to embellish it and make it better, but. Uh, yeah, Eric's songs just don't have that feel. I mean, Graham's songs tend to be more performance, and Eric's songs tend to be more about just getting it down. Like you say, you know, the the computer recording, you know, the the note you hit. Um, yeah, and and his and his great lyric idea that features him in a restaurant, sometimes in Barbados. Not a restaurant again, Sean. Yeah. 
Yeah, and dodgy sentiments as well. It's like, come on, you know, we're 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 consenting adults. You know, yeah, let's have sex. It's it's part of the deal. There's something really distasteful about this song for me. Yeah, so it's an odd one, really. It seems to be a little bit of a twist on the age of consent. I don't think it's referring to kind of, you know, you've got to be 16 to have sex. I think it's like adults. Come on, we both fancy each other. Um, Let's enjoy sexuality. Let's, you know, here's the bed. We both know what we want. Um, Yeah, and and, and I don't don't like that. It's probably all in his mind. I don't like it at all. We smile and not together. This is fine. It's so fine. Come on in. The water's fine. We can jump right in, or we can sit. That's one of Eric's diseases, isn't it? In these later works, Code of Silence could be really nice as a you know three and a half minutes. Likewise, Age of Consent wouldn't be quite so objectionable. I think, I guess, if it if it weren't. I mean, five and a half minutes long, that's about 10 seconds short of Bohemian Rhapsody. Yeah, well, that that comes when you... I know he was doing some work with Adrian Lee as well, but when you're recording at home, um, it's just a tendency without a collaborator to to, to, to edit you to to go on too long. Yeah. Yeah. This this one definitely could have used Graham Goldman's input. And, you know, like the, uh, the solo albums that Eric did, you know, in the later years... Uh, I mean, a lot of the songs suffer the same problem as this song, you know, where the production just seems to kill the song. I, I can't get through those albums because the productions are just so stiff and boring and mm. there's just nothing that uh, gives it any, you know, sense of Eric and any feel that he might be putting into the music. Yes. I, I'm with you. It's kind of lost everything. But they did send each other the tracks, didn't they? Um, the songs that they were proposing for this album. And I remember Eric saying something like, oh, Graham's tunes are, are really dark and miserable. Um, no, they're not, Eric. They're, they're really not. They're just they're kind of personal and, and emotional. And yours, you know, yours really just do not do it. And going back to what you've said, Andrew, uh, a few times now, Eric so needs that extra input of someone who says, yeah, don't like the angle on that one. Let's do something more exciting with the chords. Let's do something more exciting with the production. But he, Eric is ploughing his own furrow, isn't he, at this point? Very yeah, much Actually, that one uh, is slightly more hooky. Yeah. Um, no, I agree. Faster. I agree. It, it, it's okay. You know, uh, I, I hate to just keep saying it's okay, but, you know, we started out a few episodes ago talking about, you know, Wall Street Shuffle, and <laughs> it's, a, it, it, it's difficult to to fill the space with words sometimes when a song just doesn't do that much for you. So I, I can't really say much more. Yeah, that, yeah. There, there are good bits to it, Paul. Um, I, I, 
I'm with you that there are there are some really good bits in it. Even though I hate the verse, the melodies hmm. just really just does nothing. There's some some great guitar hooks in there. When it goes into the middle eight, which does sound kind of very current and 90s, probably thanks to Adrian Lee, I imagine, it's, it's quite enjoyable and inventive, actually. I don't agree with you. I think it's the production is so bland on this that, um, you know, Eric trying to sound so cool and tough and, you know... <laughs> You know, going on about greed and, you know, power and, you know, and, and not having enough. I mean, I, I don't mind the lyrics so much, but the production on this is very sloppy. The drum programs, the, the drum programming, I should say, just seems to be programmed very badly. Um, okay. But like you said, you know, Eric's guitar playing on this is pretty fantastic. It's, yes. It, it's funky and interesting. but Better than, said, better than anything for me on, on Meanwhile. I, I yeah, much prefer the guitar work on this track than every single track on Meanwhile, apart from Woman in Love, where, where Eric's playing his steel guitar. Yeah. But I still think this suffers without Graham's input. I still yes. just think Eric is getting it all. Yeah, sadly. I love the intro song. I think it just for the first 10 or 20 seconds, where you think, oh, this is going to be great. And then, unfortunately, and it's the opposite of normal, Eric opens his mouth and the... The tone changes to another very flat song, and we can't say enough. He's one of the great singers, but it's yes. just a wasted song. Um, We've got one more song to do, haven't we? Which is oh, yeah, Margo. of course, Margot. Oh God, Margot. Even Ziggy's really, joining in there, Paul. Yeah, yeah. Ziggy's voicing a disapproval over Margot. Um, that was, wasn't that something Eric heard uh, a guest say oh. uh, when he was having dinner? This time, not at a restaurant, but no, uh, but at, at one home. of one of his houses in Barbados. Well, oh yes, that's right. It was, wasn't it? Um, Margot passed the mustard, or Margot yeah. wants wants the mustard. That's it. Some racing um, driver, a, mace, a racing driver friend of his. Um, Popped his head yeah, round the door. Yeah. This is according to Liam's book. Thank you, Liam. Uh, he pops yeah. his head round the door and says, Margot wants the mustard. Margot wants the mustard, yeah, she needs a little spice. Margot wants the mustard, yeah, It's almost a knee-jerk thing of Eric to say in, in these interviews and his autobi autobiography is, hey, that's a great idea for a song. <laughs> Yeah. Oh, yeah. Paul McNulty uh, said to me, oh, sorry, Sean, could you just pass my beer over? Hey, <laughs> there's a good idea for a song. Yeah. Excuse yeah. me, chats, but honestly, I, it, this is where I fall out of love completely with, with some of Eric's solo tunes. I just don't yeah. get it. I just don't get it. I shouldn't say it, but it must be said, Will. It's even better when it's in your bed. Some like it cool. Some like it cool. Some like it hot. 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 
find it to be, again, another attempt to rewrite Dreadlock Holiday in a funny way. Yeah. Um, you know, whatever the story is, if you heard somebody say the phrase, uh, Eric, you know, Eric, I, I get it. He hears a phrase and he thinks, oh, that'll make a great song. And isn't this about, Mar isn't Margot the cook at one of his houses or one of the... Uh, yes, I think yeah, so. She, yeah, yeah she, she was literally the housekeeper d d cooking yeah, up something for tea, yeah. Yeah, and I mean, you know, I, I get Eric trying to, you know, have some fun, but I mean, there's some of the, some of the lyrics again on this one. I don't know. I think there's a, there's a line that says something that uh, is actually, I, I'll take it back, is actually quite good in the line where he said... <laughs> he, he <actually> says, <laughs> Eric... <laughs> Eric Stewart's Revenge on you, Penny. Yes, no, that's but, right. No, no, I, I, yes, and Eric, if you're listening. Yeah, nice one. <laughs> but he's trying to add a little spice, you know, to Margot's life by, you know, singing about her, I guess. And and then he, he sings that lyric. I think he says, uh, some like it cool. Oh, some, some like, like it hot. Yeah. Some give a little, some give a lot. Oh, I mean, it's God, a bit... Oh, God. I've got my head literally in my hands. Let me, but it's a bit typical of the way Eric writes, but the way he's kind of incorporated the 50s feel and the way he sings it, he sings it like, you know, with a bit of relish, you know, a little more mustard and a little relish as yeah, well. Yeah, he's so. enjoying this. Yeah. He is actually enjoying it, isn't he? Yeah, exactly. Um, I'm not, I don't think much of the song, to be honest, overall, but... Uh, yeah, like you said, Sean, there's bits and pieces of it that are okay. Yeah, there's a lead up to the chorus where he's he's throwing in those sort of diminished chords that we were talking about last time. You know, mm. on Meanwhile, there's a couple of songs where you, there are actually some really interesting chords, but mainly it's just, again, those flipping steel drums. Uh, <laughs> yeah. You know, whose who's decision? Couldn't Adrian Lee say, Eric, no, 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 please, please. Don't yeah, they, go down that route. They sound like keyboards rather than steel drums. I, I wonder if they were done on the keyboard. Oh, absolutely. They, they they won't be. There's there's very little kind of ambiently recorded on on these Eric tracks, Panny, in my in, to my ears. Uh, there are yeah. no acoustic guitars, for example. I, I think mm. only, only the vocals are actually ambiently recorded. Everything else is just played played into that keyboard and then you know processed digitally. Right. Yeah, what what about the drums? I haven't even this first time just that made me think. Are there any um real drums on the Eric tracks at all, do you think? A, a really good question. I don't think there are. I think it's all literally Adrian's uh drum loops. Yeah, that again is a is an is a minus for sure, isn't it? I don't mind that. If they're good drum loops. You know, a great drum loop has never done Fatboy Slim any harm. Um, you know, I'm I'm a fan of that, but I think this is I think it's on some of the tracks, there are, there are drummers. There's a drummer on Ready to Go Home, for example. Yeah, right, sure. But, but most of it, most of the tracks are literally just two blokes in a studio. You know, yeah. one of the lads with Adrian Lee. Um, nothing wrong with that, but but sometimes it kind of just it loses a little bit of that immediacy and excitement, doesn't it? How I wish I could bottle this thing, splash it out all over the place and if I can finish with Margot on something rather like Eric singing about seeing Yvonne's bum, um, mm. Margot, I, I love the way she spreads the mustard on her tights. 
that would that, that would add a bit of spice, I think. Much porn, John. Yeah. <laughs> Spread it on what's the tights. Anyway, I, uh, I yeah, yeah, I rest my case. Yeah, what's the what's the real lyric then? S- spread it on the line, I think. Okay. I, I yeah. think, uh, but uh, we can, I can refer to you know I, I don't think I've opened the Margot page on my lyric book <laughs> as if I'd want to. <laughs> but it's a better tune than his other his other songs, isn't it? It's, you said. Um, earlier on, uh, Sean, that's much harder to write a, a tune that's catchy. No, I agree, but I think Yvonne's, I think Yvonne's the one is actually a really a really nicely written pop melody. Whereas Margot, uh, Margot wants that. I don't know. There's something really, really, really cheesy about it. It's very funny. and I like cheese and mustard as a combination. I do. I really do. <laughs> We've got one of two references in the lyrics to in this album to the rhythm method and Oh yes, yes, yeah, I meant to mention yeah. that. And and that, you that work out what the other one is? It's one of take Graham. This woman, it is, take this woman, yeah. When she moves well I got to say that this rhythm method goes a long, long way. I said you can't bring your drums to bed. Your rhythm method's gonna leave me dead. Got to take And I, I, I'll argue in favour of Take This Woman. Kind of. Once you get over the idea of uh, of, of Graham in sort of ACDC territory, with <laughs> a whole lot of woman, it's, uh, it sounds a little out of key. But um, with a, but a French the, woman in his hotel room with a pair of congas. Yeah. Yeah. But it's it's it, it, it's it's a comedy song, really, isn't yeah. it? With a with a lovely uh, unexpected, albeit brief middle section. Oh yeah, the dream like. the dream sequence. Yeah, a few seconds, but just for a minute, you hark back to the sudden change you might get on, a, on an earlier ten CC. Yeah, like how like dare that. you? Uh, you know, something on like um, don't hang up yeah. or something. Don't want to love you. I really tried, but I'm hook, line, and sinker, deeply fried. I've got to admit, but with all your faults, we touch and it feels like a million balls. Yeah, yeah, yeah. it's fun. Uh, I like his vocal, it's, it's, he's full on, you know, uh, um, it's, yeah, it, it, I mean, a lot of songs, quite a few, I'd say all the other Graham songs are pretty serious in one way or another. So it's a nice bit of of relief for him, I suppose. I agree. And and it's interesting that this was one of two songs that appear on this album as as rejects from Meanwhile. Um, Presumably songs that either Gary Katz or the other musicians for Meanwhile didn't like. Uh, Mm. This and... uh, why did I break your heart? Uh, both Eric Graham tunes that, uh, that that didn't pass muster for meanwhile. But I think "Take This Woman" is fun. Actually, I would argue in favour of it because I actually enjoy enjoy the humour, and I think Graham's delivery is wonderful. He he says there's a line about bringing the drums to bed. Yes, and 
and then he says your rhythm method's gonna leave me dead you know uh yeah does she yeah, and, and i go back to what i said to paul does she actually have bongos in the bedroom <laughs> and, and i mean i mean literally bongos right but he, he seems to be complaining to you know to everybody about her and yet at the end of the you know he still takes her to the altar he still ends up marrying her yes you know? because he, because when they have sex it's like a million volts yeah i mean um Totally a Graham. I, I think it's a Graham lyric more than it is an Eric lyric, definitely. Um, I don't like the music feel, you know, the Calypso feel on this one too much. It gets a little bit to be much. Yeah. I think that, that works quite well, though, is the uh, trombone playing, yes. which uh, which I, I kind of reminds me of, you know, uh, message, to Ru- message to You, Rudy, by The Specials. Yeah, uh, definitely. Yeah, 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 good reference yeah. there. That's a, that's a proper scar tune. <laughs> Yeah, it, it, yeah. it reminds me of two tunes actually. One is a, is a Paul McNulty tune with a trombone oh, on it. What What's was that, that one, Paul, that you had? You had you had one oh, with a trombone. Va- the Vanishing Man. The Vanishing Man, yes. Yeah. And it reminds Thanks me for the plug. I know, but um, th- this is just a veiled attempt for me to mention Half Man Half Biscuit for the first time on our podcast uh, because okay. because this track really reminds me of one of their classics, in my view, which is a song called Even Men With Steel Hearts Love To See A Dog On The Pitch. Uh, <laughs> and it has, the, honestly, it has the same arrangement. And, and so I immediately liked Take This Woman because it kind of reminded me of that tongue-in-cheek, fun, very, very English kind of approach. So, yeah, I, I, I would stand on the deck of the Titanic and protect this song from, from being lost. And you'd go down with the ship, wouldn't you? (laughs) (laughs) Take what's left of the vanishing man Listen, even man with steel hearts Love to see a dog on the pitch even men with steel hearts love to see a dog on the pitch It generates the warmth around the ground that augurs well for mankind And that's what life's about And, then, and there's a nice, I think there's some nice diminished chords in the, in, in, in the pre-chorus as well um, quite, quite a bit of clever work going on really I'd like to hear the demo of this Yeah But you know, let's talk about the other uh, Stuart Graham Goldman song left over uh, from Meanwhile. Uh, yes. Why did I break your heart, um, Paul? Uh, I'm going to throw this at you. This seems to be picking up where Memories left off from Ten Out of Ten. And I, I don't know uh, if you know. I, I kind of get a connection to that, and this song kind of seems to reflect on losing that that love and those memories and the things that were done or happened. I found an eight by ten Taking God knows when It took me back to when we found each other I know it's a, a co-write, but I, I reckon it's the only substantial Eric Stewart song on the record. Mm. And I I really like it, although it's not very immediate. Um, I, I like it true. too. It rings true, that's for sure. I mean, it's a bit slow moving but um it is affecting the thing i really like about this is his vocal absolutely because for one 
for once he's nowhere near relaxed here he sounds like he's reaching mm. and that's it that's a good thing it it, rem it reminds me in some places though it's not as extreme as extreme of um like a late period freddie mercury vocal mm. you know yeah, for very different reasons freddie mercury sung um completely differently during the last you know couple of years of his, of his career for for obvious reasons uh, and eric is got some of that ferocity almost or, or des desperation and if i may I particularly like uh, is phrasing he comes close to the peak and then and then he pauses on the run-up with a oh oh, oh um, you know which sounds sounds yeah. throwaway but i think he needs that and then he gets back to the why did i break your heart which is the climax i think that's T totally that's agree, very, Paul. very good very yeah, good i think he, you know the song is really full of pathos and guilt that he feels for you know this relationship going astray and as you say eric's you know, straining vocal kind of adds to that pathos and guilt as well. Yeah, yeah, I guess we've all picked up on that, the yeah, vocal, actually. Yeah, is, definitely. Is quite... it, it's my favourite Eric vocal with Runaway, actually, uh, since the 70s. I think well, they're, really? they're, okay. Yeah, I think they're both absolutely fabulous vocals. I think Yvonne's The One is terrific as well. But this one, okay. it, it unlike so many of, of Eric's kind of solo-y tunes... In the, the last few albums we've talked about, this one really does grab me by the throat. It really does. I, I think there's there's so much em, emotional yeah. power in it. He means it uh, with all his heart. I rewrote the lyric. You're absolutely right, Penny. I, I I like the song, but I can't stand the whoa 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 bit. I thought it's just someone you you can't find. You can't actually write a write no, a line. I think, I, I think I think that's the ledge on which he has to rest before he gets up to the summit. Yeah, there's yeah. a kind of a ledge. That, that Eric sits on for literally one beat uh, just before the kind of pre-chorus. Uh, he goes into that, ooh, and then there's a single, okay. that's C minor, a single F major, and then he goes up to D minor. Ooh, how did I let it start? And that's lovely, just... What he's doing there is just literally going from C minor up to D minor, but he's throwing in that that F as a passing chord and I think it's really lovely the song is written on quite a basic minor key structure 1, 4, 5 mm -hmm. you know the, the classic structure G minor yeah. C minor D minor the F the 7th in that scale is just is thrown in and I think it's one of the things that makes this song really quite interesting uh, that there's there's more subtlety there than, than meets the ear straight away nice song so have you concluded that it's an eric lyric or I, I thought it was a graham lyric myself that's interesting i think it's just because he sings it with such passion it sounds like it's his lyric i mean we don't know for sure i guess but mm. but he sings it with most he, he didn't have all the relationships that went up and down and sideways did he well we don't yeah <laughs> he had, it's one it's one relationship but it may well have gone up and down to, to keep it together of course very true very true it seems to me more like a graham because graham tends to write much more bearing his heart on 
on many of his songs. But yeah, Eric well, it was Eric tends to, he has fantasy characters, doesn't he, Eric? I don't know if that's true. Um, I think I think he, Eric does write personally as well. He does, he does. But but he tends to personify more, doesn't he? He tends to be a, a, a more McCartney, if we're going to polarise them, McCartney tended mm-hmm. to write about uh, imaginary characters, didn't he? Whereas Lennon would, yeah. would usually write kind of in the first person. And arguably you, you could say that Eric and Graham kind of polarize in the same way. I find this to be more of an Eric lyric, you know, only by, you know, the way he sings it. Um, when you, you know, when you write something and you're able to sing it with that much distinction, it, it comes across. And I think Eric definitely probably, you know, had input from Graham on this, you know, because, you know, it's a co-write. Oh, yeah, definitely. But I think it's definitely more Eric's than it is Graham's. I'd be interested to hear the demo of this one. Yeah, me too. The cost of loving is a heavy burden. Somebody's gonna take the strain. One of the reasons I do really like this tune, it reminds me of Howard Jones. Uh, There's a, a track on his first album which I absolutely adore. Yeah. From his first album called Hide and Seek, where he's he's basically almost telling the story of the creation of the universe, um, of this kind of God character. And the vocal has got a lot in common with, with Eric's delivery on this one. And the chords and keyboard sounds are very, very similar as well. And um, mm. I love that track, and I, I guess this one just nestles next to it. I think Eric's got a much nicer voice than Howard, but a very I definitely see the similar similarities there. And once again, just worth pointing out yet again that you know one of the strongest songs on the album is when Graham and and Eric write together. Yeah. Yes. Ziggy agrees. Dispense with the the two elephants in the room before we talk about arguably the two best tracks on the album. Can we be as dismissive as possible about these two reworkings of "I'm Not in Love"? Yeah. Um, well, let's let's just kind of collapse it into one. Yeah. <laughs> in that the fact that the fact that "I'm Not in Love" was reworked. I'm sure everybody or perhaps everybody knows the story in that it was unintentional. They were filming a documentary. Eric and Graham and the documentary crew asked them to perform uh, I'm Not In Love live in the studio, uh, keyboard and guitar and two-part harmony. And and they came back into the control room, listened to it, and everybody started saying, this sounds fantastic, you've got to release it. And unfortunately, they didn't push back against that. And then the inevitable happened. Um, all the all the focus of attention went on that song. It went to the UK charts, um, 
And as it stands, it was just a nice uh, live recording for a documentary, but it, it never yes. should have been put out as a single. Um, mm. And it was—I don't think it was even thought through. You know, their choice of harmonies is—it uh, uh, sounds spontaneous, which is nice if you just take the recording for what it is. But uh, there, w- there was no need to to do it really, or for it to ever be um, put out in that way. That's my feeling. Yeah, who's, who's playing the keyboard on it, Paul? The the stringy sound. It, it's, I think it's, it's, a, it's a three. It, it's a three-man performance. This isn't it? N- no, I don't. I don't think so. It's a layered sound. Oh, I see. Certainly. So, so it, it's kind of coming from Eric's electric piano. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I mean, what a, a pale reflection of uh, you know the the, the nuanced genius of, of the original, and 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 that can be said, I think, of of Eric's reworking that. Um, he spent a lot more time on remixing from the original multi-track tapes that that he'd obviously digitised in his studio in France. And coming up with what I so I suppose ostensibly is a very similar version uh, to the original. But he's made some really horrible decisions, I think, uh, well, in, he, in key parts of the song, Panny. Yeah, then he, he took off uh, a lot of the vocals, I believe, and I, I you know I couldn't even listen to it. Um, I think he re-recorded his uh, vocal on it, and he sounds it sounds deeper and older than before. Yeah, and I think. I think there's less of the backing vocal on it as well. Yes, and he's taken Lowell's pian- lovely piano part in, in the middle section. He's replaced, you know, Lowell's piano used to was used to replace his original vocal middle eight, mm. um, and and he's he's replaced Lowell's piano with this disgusting uh, electric guitar sound. Right, right. That's right. That's uh, right. It, it, it's it's really such such a shame and I can't believe that someone of, of Eric's production genius and and I, I and I really feel that you know he was an engineering genius I, I'm so amazed that he could have made such a bad bad decision there I was gonna say with the new technology and maybe just trying like you said, he digital digitalized you know the track and tried some different things with it with the new technology he had on hand to see if he could improve it. But but how can you, how can you improve on like you said? I think yeah. right at the start of this conversation, Andrew, how can you improve on absolute perfection? Indeed. <laughs> In their defence, they never—they were bullied into releasing it as a single. You know, they—they they, they just did it for this TV program. So let's let's cut them some slack. Yeah, well, absolutely. But but to do it twice on an album. Yeah. Okay. Maybe that's in defence. Yeah. And and one other one other thing, and and this has annoyed me since "Live and Let Live" or or "Live and Let Live," however you say it. <laughs> um, I don't know when Eric started singing "I'm Not in Love" differently. But I'm not sure if you've noticed this. On on the original, 
he sings, I'm not in love. But on all the later versions, he seems to sing, I'm not in love. Love. Yeah. Yeah. I don't like two it. Two separate notes. Yeah, yeah, two notes rather than three. Rather than three, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and, uh, you know, why? Yeah, okay, we all have a personal relationship to this music, don't we? Everyone's protective of what they love. Whenever you see a band live, they very often sing the hits in a, in a different way. They kind of, sometimes they reinvent the melody a little bit. And you, yeah, because you they're, they're bored with it. Yeah, exactly. And you're sitting there, having paid your 85 quid, sitting at the back of the room watching some, some great TV screen, and you're thinking, nah. I'm not alone, so don't forget it. It's just a city face going through. Okay. Don't worry, we can, we can just, we can just uh, in our minds, we can excise that track because it's not really part of the album. So you know, no, exactly, we'll and, and I think we've. What's been good tonight is that we've treated this this record as if those two tracks weren't there. Um, yes, but I'm so glad those other two tracks are there. Can we start with "Monkey in the Onion"? Panny, you've got some interesting views on the lyrics of this one, haven't you? Well, you know. Uh... I've always found the lyrics to be a bit ridiculous. Um, <laughs> you know, I'm not, I'm not, not, I mean, I think musically it's a, it's a pretty good song and it has a nice feel. And of course he co-wrote it with, you know, Tim Rice, but I, you know, I, I could just never imagine a, a monkey reaching down to eat an onion. I just don't, ever, <laughs> you know, in the zoo or in the wild, if you gave a monkey a box of onions, I think they would probably start throwing them, you know, at each other. <laughs> or, or writing Shakespeare plays. Yeah, but, I mean, there's probably a deeper message there. I mean, I think it of might be... Of course there a, is. Of course there is. Yeah. I mean, I, I've, you know, whatever the message is, you can interpret it so many different ways. Yeah. But, but I, I mean, again, I, I've just never connected to the song. I've just found it to be... Uh, I don't know, one of the songs that I skip, I guess, is probably the best way to, to say it, you know. Directions, nothing's quite the joy it seems. That's really interesting, Panny. For me, it's not a monkey at all. I think this is a, a, a beautiful, simple, affecting song about, my interpretation anyway, is... is a man's inability to come to terms with his emotions. And I think the monkey and the onion are just wonderful metaphors to to express that. And and for me, this, this song hit me straight away. On my walk with Doddy, this one I thought, shit, that is such a beautiful song. Um, it's very moving and it, it, it brings a tear to my eye. Never take my love for granted And there's, wow. there's very, very few of the the post-70s 10cc work that, that has anything like that sort of impact on me. But this wow. this and the other song that we're going to be talking about in a minute are the literally the two songs of of the post-70s uh, 10cc output 
that make me glad to be alive. And I, th I think these two songs are the best songs since, I, I, since Deceptive I, Bends. I, I just can't, I just think it's a great melody and I just think it's just wasted, especially, you know, see the monkey grab the onion, see the monkey. <laughs> cry i mean oh god it's it, it just yeah yeah no i i, yeah. I, I see that but for me I, I, i'm 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 already in inside the metaphor um yeah. feeling the pain of the bloke who's struggling with his emotions i don't know i just i mean I, i'm surprised you didn't say armadillo and a pomegranate i mean i don't know i just i just can't get a grip on the lyrics and again i just think the metaphor that he's using is just not something that you would connect. You would never connect a monkey with an onion, in spite of the metaphor. But isn't that what great lyric writing's all about? I don't think this is a great lyric. See the monkey peel the onion. See the monkey cry. No, uh, no, I'm, I'm fascinated by what you've got to say. I, I'm don't particularly i'm not particularly taken by the actual song itself i presume that the lyrics would all be would all be the work of tim rice would that be right he uh, was the one that wrote lyrics yeah, and musicals andrew Lloyd Webber. yeah i don't yeah. know but I, sometimes the, if, the, if the melody doesn't hook you then i just get switched off so for me it's not a great song i'm with, i'm kind of with panny a little bit but okay. um, i know you guys love it and i'm going to be fascinated to hear more about why you think it's such a great yeah. song well, well, sometimes you can't put it into words. I mean, but I'll, I'll try. I mean, I'm a, I'm a huge Tim Rice fan who's got a very unusual worldview in his lyrics. He talks about arguments, compromise, and he's got a kind of incredible but beautiful awkwardness in the way he writes. And once you get inside that, then... Uh, then you're sort of captivated. Mm. I mean, the, the key the key to the song is is the lyric, in the end, we're empty-handed just because we need the world explained. And he works backwards from there with this metaphor. Um, you know, it's, it's simply that the monkey has the onion, he has everything in his hands, but he proceeds to chop it. And by the time he's chopped it, there's nothing left and he's lost what he had in the first place. It really is as, as simple as that. Mm. It's not a lie Never take my love for granted Well, because the metaphor is applied to the relationship, he's saying to his partner, we mustn't question why this works, because if we dig into it too deeply, it will fall apart and it won't work anymore. Mm. That's, that's, the way I, that's the way I read it. Um, it's, it's, it's a brilliant lyric, and, I, and I'd wished, you know, I wish they'd done more songwriting together. When I always while ambitions and far I don't think it's entirely a Tim Rice lyric. Um, if you listen to some of the early parts of the song, he can feel his tears are flowing, but he don't know why. That sounds like a Graham line to it me. It is a flowing. It, 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 it reminds you of, of Behind the Door, doesn't it? Yeah, and it's not the, it, it's not the same way, the same kind of semi-literate way, if you like, that, that mm. Tim Rice writes in. I think it's a great song, and the music's lovely too. I, I, I think um, so too. String quartet again. 
Yeah. Yeah, the arrangement's good, but just the, the melody and the chords uh, are great. Go on. It's funny that Panny said he didn't like the see the monkey cry. I think that's a lovely bit. That bit that draws me in. That changed, oh, yeah. uh, which I think is a major seven, but I'm not sure. I don't know. Um, I, I, I'm looking at the chord right in front of me, uh, Paul, oh, okay. I, and I do not what I do not know what it is. Uh, oh, okay. I, th- I think it's an E sus four over F sharp. Uh, it, 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 yeah, it's. I, I think it's beautiful. I, I had a, a little play with this one yesterday as well, and I found that the only way I could play it anywhere yeah. near the, the way Graham is playing it is by um, tuning the D string of the guitar up to an E. Um, oh, yeah. As, as uh, some of you might might know, the the top string of a guitar is an E, the bottom mm. is an E, and then the, mm. and what I've done is is just tune the D string up to an E so you get that uh, a, a really ringiness so yeah that's got a different feel maybe it was written in a different tune so you, you hear that drone yes exactly yeah You know, I was complaining about the drone on Twenty Four Hours a couple of podcasts ago, but the, but, but this one is just, it's just such uh, beautiful kind of melodic stuff. And then the, the the melody on the verse, I think, is so gorgeous. And that 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 chord is just absolutely fantastic. And I, I, I'm, yeah. I, I literally, I'm looking at my fingers. Uh, and, and thinking, I don't know what that is, but it, I love it to death. Of course, it, it occurs um, occurs on the on the key lyric "cry." Yeah. So it actually releases some emotion it at that does. point. Now, it, whether whether all these things are instinctive, who knows? But when you sort of retrofit it, you can see yeah. um, the the artistry involved. The punch, it's, it's, it's absolutely. Yeah, it is. It's a it's a beautiful marriage between lyric and, and music for me. And and the yeah. the subtlety of Graham's use of chords is literally one of the best things he's ever done, in my view. The irony of this, though, is that these two tracks that I love so much on this album, this track and and the co-write with Andrew Golds, are almost the the least ten C tracks ever. One is just an acoustic song co-written with Tim Rice, and the other one is is the best best song that Wax ever wrote. Yeah, yeah. Well, it looks, I guess Graham was moving away from 10TC in a way into or back into a solo career. Yeah, that's right. But but he left us with two absolutely corkers of songs. All this darkness rising tall. Ready to go home is um is one to literally make you weep, isn't it? Yeah, it's an imp- it's an important song, all right, um, but it's so so heavy. I mean, points for meeting death or grief head on, mm. but the expense is at creating a pretty intense, you could say, depressing depressing listening experience. Uh, I mean, I, I would have loved to hear. I, d- I don't know what it is about Andrew's vocal. I mean, Andrew's a fantastic singer. And it's it's a it's a good vocal, very good vocal. But I would love to have heard Kevin sing this. 
God. you know, in another in another time, mm. in another decade, that, that could have been magnificent. Yes. Yes, or even Eric, and apparently yes. Eric offered it and didn't like the, the slow pace of it, if I remember correctly, from my old version of um, The Worst yeah. Bender in the World. I just yeah. haven't read yeah. the new version. He, he, suggested, a reggae, he, he suggested a reggae yeah. version. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, well, which I mean, is Jesus Christ. On, well, it's on the remake on um, And Another Thing, Graham's album from 1999. I think it was that year. It sort of had a remake, which was a kind of semi-reggae or semi-up-tempo feel. I, I don't think this song, magnificent as it is, was ever nailed recording-wise. I, I, I think the recording's good, and it couldn't fail to be because of the strength of the song, but I don't think it was ever quite nailed. If the song had come along, you know, much earlier within the 10TC, the full 10TC mm. time frame, it, it could have been a real masterpiece. Yes, I, I agree. On the street below these walls Where I used to walk Now I can barely crawl All this darkness rising tall Lord, shine a light for me I'm waiting to be For my sins, I'm ready to begin. Take this river to the sea where the delta flows, the tide is washing over. In my understanding, if, if, if it is correct, is that this uh, vocal is uh, the vocal that Andrew Gold did as a demo. Yes, and, yes, I think so. Well, as, was, or as a guide vocal, anyway, yes. Guide vocal, and, and, and they thought that it was so good they kept it. I mean, uh, as, as Andrew said, Eric, you know, did get this, and he did consider singing it, and for whatever reasons he chose not to. I think one of the reasons was that he thought that Andrew's vocal had, you know, already captured the essence of the songs. I mean, we could argue about it for, for a long time. Um, but nonetheless, mm. I mean... You know, this has always been a song to me about coming home when, you know, you're at that point where, you know, you're at the end of the road or at the end of your life and you finally, you know, instead of fighting, you know, to stay alive, you finally let go and, mm -hmm. and you know, and, and in some extent, you know, ask your maker to take you if you like. Um, yes, exactly. Yeah. Lord, shine the light yeah. for me. I'm waiting to be called. Yeah. Oh, crikey. I mean, that really gets me, that line. Yeah, I'm ready to be forgiven for my sins, you yeah. know. Uh, I mean, it's also, you know, uh, Graham, I think, did say he wrote this for his dad or, you know, it was written, you know, with him in mind. And and uh, I think Andrew had lost his dad, hadn't he, in recent uh, yeah, in the, recent times? The, uh, uh, the, yeah, the Oscar winner, Ernest Gold, is his yes. father, of course. 
Um, yeah, I don't know how recently Andrew's father had died, but um, yeah, I mean, and, and it's as much about Andrew's father as it is about Graham's father, really. But yes, and that makes it that makes it almost uh, all the more poignant, don't you think? I, I, I love the lyrics because right at the beginning, um, it's a kind of um, you, you hear a trace of Jaime's Manchester, where he's talking about um, on the on the street below these walls where I used to walk, and you can see the street where No Milk Today and and, and Bus Stop were written. An incredible lyric, really. It made all the more powerful if you if you know the story because Graham well, with Andrew had to sort of has to grow up and 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 write the song without his father yes it's it's pretty yeah. it's pretty powerful you know I, I it's also my understanding when the the album came out in the u.s um that there were 12 inch uh promo singles of this floating around in the u.s and it was considered for the single here in the states um i don't think it ever got officially released as a single over here but it was one of the songs that i would have been you know if it would have caught on would have been a, a great hit for the band unfortunately i, uh, I agree panny and uh, this and a couple of other tracks on the album i think uh, i know uh, i'm the only fan of graham's pop masterpiece on this piece in our time i say that with a slight smile on my face this and peace in our time i think would have been fantastic singles but i think this one suffers from i don't know a misstep production wise yeah i think it's a little too heavy on the production it's kind of a bit a bit stodgy it's kind of that um why by annie lennox if if they use the same production principles that they had on some of the other graham tunes on the album you know where it's very real there's acoustic guitars and sometimes a, a sense of real drums and string quartet and that sort of thing. A string quartet would have absolutely killed this song, um, and, and, and instead it, it just sounds a li- just a little bit plastic, slightly better vocal. Even though I I adore this this vocal from Andrew, it's not it's not quite there, Paul. Like you said, is it? It's not quite there. I love it as well. I think it's I think it's a wonderful song. I believe it was actually released as a single. James certainly in concert. Graham refers to it as, uh-huh. as the last single it's ever released. But it must have sunk without trace. And I presume the reason it sunk without trace. Well, let's let's just think about it. They had, they did, they'd established a bit of goodwill and a little bit of chart action by the horrible version of "I'm Not in Love." So there mm. must have been some appetite for another single. But how do you promote it if Andrew Gold's the lead singer and Eric's not singing? <laughs> it, you, know, you can't be ten, you can't have Andrew Gold and Graham Goldman appearing on chat yeah. shows as 10CC when, mm. when Goldman Stewart have appeared a couple of weeks earlier. Or something, you know, so know. It, can't, it was unpromotable. Very, very, very good song. It they could probably have made a decent fist of getting a getting a good hit record. Great out point. If Andrew, if Andrew Gold had joined in 1980, uh, you know that might have worked. Right. And, and and look here would have been better if if he had. Have you seen the Have you seen the video just to lighten it up a bit, which is truly awful. Have you seen that? Um, featuring, yeah. fe- featuring the I think the Storm Thorgerson uh, 
mirror mirror Eric Graham characters, the kind of then very primitive uh, computer animation characters, mm. kind of walking wistfully along a beach, yeah. and 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 Eric and Graham sort of staring up at the backdrops of planets. And um, <laughs> oh, really? Yeah, it actually the song is so heavy. I'm actually glad that that video exists because it, it's a bit it might it, it, the intention was probably to be very deep and meaningful but it actually t- takes the edge off it and i think uh, that's not a bad thing and considering there's one there's yeah. one part of this song chaps that I, I i wanted to highlight because i think it's okay beautifully subtle it adds to i think the spirituality of it it's actually i think um harmonically it's an incredibly simple song uh, it's written in the key of of f it's so simple, F, C, G, and A minor. Uh, mm. On the street below these walls Where I used to walk And now I barely crawl and It's very, very simple, but it's beautiful. And then the, there's the pre-chorus, which is so, so nice. You've got a G over B to a C oh yeah and to D minor and and get this this is just a, such a lovely progression the, the, the bass notes are going B C yeah. D and on that D minor what I really really love there's the D minor you've got the mm-hmm. the F note at the top of the chord <laughs> it's like it's rising to heaven Into the chorus. Oh yeah, what's that chord there? F F major. It's yeah. so so simple. So the the chorus and verse Paul are really really similar. Well, it's all about the lyrics. This song really isn't it, uh, and the performance maybe. Yeah, and the melody is beautiful. The melody is beautiful. That's right. It's such a a wonderful way to bow out for Ten CC, even though it's an incredibly unTen C track. It doesn't seem to fit in the canon. Personally, I love Andrew Gold's vocal, but I know there are other vocals out there, other versions out there, and I just wondered if you think this is just not quite perfect. Are there any other versions you prefer, such as Morton Harkett? I think Morton Harkett's like one his. of the best best singers in the world, and, and I, I do love his version, actually. I think this song needed to be nailed at the start, and I, and I think it just came along at the wrong time, and, and Eric didn't like it and wasn't available, therefore... And um, despite, as a funny thing to say, despite Andrew being the co-writer, so I mean he has a, as much claim on the song as Graham. Uh, I don't know why, really. I don't. I don't think uh, it was. It was quite nailed, and maybe that's something to do with the production. That uh, I think it is, Paul. Sean, I think it's, Yeah, I think an unplugged type performance on this would have absolutely nailed it. Yeah, it, I mean Graham is obviously very close to this song for obvious reasons. Yeah. But I mean when, when I saw you know, him in 10CC or the reconstituted 10CC maybe a few years ago, it was the only non-hit he sang, you know. Really? Um, yeah. So he obviously holds the... I think, yeah. I think it's still performed in his set. And uh, I just think it's so on the nose. It's such a brave song. 
Uh, don't know whether it could have been a sort of radio standard. But then occasionally songs like that do break through. Like it has a lot of similarities to like the living years. Mm. Yeah, uh, totally, totally. And I, I was, by Michael and Mechanics, yeah. which isn't a song I particularly like as much musically, but but it it it, it has an incredible, heartfelt and powerful lyric. Yeah, um, with a so uh, with a wonderful video, of course. <laughs> yeah, unlike so that's maybe where they yeah. went wrong. Yeah. So we, we've finished on a really emotional high note there, and uh, yeah. I, I have to say I I feel quite emotional and and, and quite sad to have, have reached the the end of our kind of album journey with 10CC. That there's more to go in terms of um, going back to maybe Eric's work, obviously uh, some of the work that that Graham was doing in the, in the seventies for example, and back to the strawberry stuff. So there's plenty for us to dig around at. Um, but I, I do feel we've kind of reached a sort of finality tonight, chaps. Oh, there's, there's plenty to go. Uh, and, we, you know, hopefully we're going to meet up um, or interview, if we're, if we're fortunate enough to, plenty of other players, small <laughs> and large, in, in, in the 10cc story. And we've got this uh, wonderful opportunity to recover some uh, thought lost actual original tapes mm. um we hope through 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 uh, peter wadsworth our friend um so we might uh, we might actually be restoring some tapes live during a podcast <laughs> uh, well actually um, so uh, paul this... on on that score hang on i went up to the attic only the other day actually and i yeah. uh, i fetched down a, a another Real to real tape, and I've got you know many many up in my attic. Would you believe? I know you're yeah, not surprised by that. Here's, in fact, you can hear the tape here. Uh, this is a yeah. tape from the '60s, and right. um, I suspect it's been badly kept, badly treated, abused, neglected, yeah. etc. And I'm yeah. going to use it as a guinea pig to um, bake uh, in, in laboratory conditions in my oven in the kitchen. And if it works, I'm going to try and I'm going to per- try and persuade uh, our good friend Peter to let me have a go at one of his mystery tapes. Okay. What do you reckon? Sounds marvelous. Andrew, thanks exactly. so thanks so much, mate. A wonderful contribution. Oh, that's so kind. Thanks very much. It's been a true honour to be asked, and um, we'll <laughs> keep in touch, guys. And I'm looking forward to you doing your 10cc concert if you ever do one tribute. We concert, will because I have said we I'm will. going to try and. Over a weekend, so I can come down and make a weekend of it. Bring my wife. De- definitely, we, we might. We might do. Uh, Paul and I have got some extremely ridiculously ambitious plans for it, Andrew. So I don't <laughs> yeah. think it's going to be um, possibly not even this or next year. Um, no. But, but uh, 2022 has yeah. a nice ring to it, Paul. Don't you think? It's, it's, well, it's it's yeah. the 50th anniversary, yeah. so that's uh, <laughs> so every cloud. That's when it will be, basically. I think, yeah. Panny, thank you so, so, so much. Yeah, I really loved it, Panny. We'll definitely speak again soon. All right, thanks, Sean. Thanks, guys. Talk to you soon. Cheers, Panny. Take care. Cheers, Panny. It's been great to get to know you, and we'll keep in touch. Thank you, boys. Uh, Bless you. Yeah. And uh, talk soon. Speak soon, guys.
this rat and talk Lord, shine a light for me I'm waiting to be Give up everything 